Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Mix podcast. This episode is not our 22nd, nor is it our 24th. But I'm not going to say what the number is because I am a scarred 90s Knicks fan and. I don't. I've never owned a pair of Nikes, um, and I'm not saying the number of the episode that we're on. Just you can figure that out, I'm sure. But thank you for being with us. Um, we are coming to you on opening day of the Major League Baseball season. Mets are winning two, <coughs> two to nothing. So, so far, life is good. Um, Matt Miranda joined by Stacy Patton, as always. How did they play the Mets? It's like a hurricane outside right now, isn't it? <laughs> We're in Washington. Um, it was uh, delayed why. by about an hour and a half because of rain. Um, and then, you know, money, money. So they, they got it in. But They couldn't have played it in Queens, I'll tell you that. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. So Yeah, upstate we've had just, it's like muddy as hell today. Um, yeah, but it's looking good. So, But we're still talking Knicks. Um, only two games left in the season. Um, the Knicks play in Washington. Wait, is it in Washington? I don't even know. They play Washington. They Yes, they're in Washington Friday night. And then the season finale will be Sunday evening against the Raptors. If you have never attended a Nick home season finale, there will be a lot of free popcorn. Um, so if that does it for you, consider going to the game. Can I tell you the story of the first, the only time I've ever been to a Nick season finale? Of course. Um, I had been dating my girlfriend for about a year, and she does not care about basketball at all. She actually went to UCLA at the same time that Russell Westbrook and Kevin Love were there, and that didn't change anything. So very early on, I realized that... That's not her thing. (laughs) Um, But she came with me to see Mario Hazonia start at point guard against an Andre Drummond-led Pistons team. Those and it was days. so – I think the final score was – at one point it was 103-64. Um, the Knicks were down – were flirting with 40-point deficits for most of the game. Oh, my God. Um, I think at one point she was cheering even when the Knicks would successfully complete a pass because <laughs> I think she could tell that that was the most um, ambitious thing they could attempt. Mm-hmm. But um, that's the only time I've been to the last game of the season. Suffice to say, if you choose to go to – uh, the one against the Wizards with this group of guys will not be like Point Hazonia. So, yeah, um, not the two most exciting opponents to end the season with, but season is winding down, and there is certainly a lot for the Knicks to consider coming out of this um, year and going into the summer. We'll talk about um, a lot of those decisions, or or maybe not decisions, but just impressions of the young Knicks who seem to be the most relevant things going forward. I don't know how much there is to say, for example, about Julius Randle, because I don't think, I think we, we've, with people like Randall and people like Alec Burks, Erlens Noel, even Mitchell Robinson, to some extent, like we know what they are. Um, but let's get into the younger guys who might actually Depending on what we'll talk about it today, they might be a foundation to build around here, or they might be the foundation for a trade um, to bring in a star. And we'll have one particular star that we'll hypothesize about trade talk today. But let's start with the. We'll start with Emmanuel quickly, because honestly, 
that is the stir that has my god i keep mixing up words that is the straw that is the stir that has strawed up the next drink more than no that. you still messed it up you no, that, that, at least that you time, said the stir that, that is strong let me just be clear with everyone I'm not having an aneurysm. That one was on purpose. Oh, that one was on purpose? Okay, yes. My bad. Um, but I can't I'm, keep track, you know, with your scorpion and tib <laughs> stories and all. By the way, that was amazing. I'm listening to the art because I've been, I have been mixing up my words. The other day, literally, I was out with my two dogs, and it was rainy and cold, and I wanted them to come inside, and I was thinking, go, I was thinking, go, 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 which is usually what I would say to them. But for some reason, I said, think, 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 and they're both just looking at me, and I'm like, that's fair. Like, that's probably the best response I could get. So, yes. Emmanuel quickly, the straw that stirs most of the controversy around the next at this point. Um, this you, you've talked a lot about quickly this season. Um, you've seen a lot of a lot of ups from him, maybe some downs. Where do you stand right now on Emmanuel quickly as far as what you've seen from him this year that you think is a positive, and what you think um, is left, what you'd like to see him work on developing more maybe for next season yeah um before before i get into that i do want to say like that um that recap with the scorpion and the frog story was i think really well done it's like also like i think it'd be a cool exercise uh i know you teach so um students if you're just like replace the scorpion and the scorpion and the frog story with um Someone like Tom Thibodeau, I guess, right? But who is the Tom Thibodeau of your students like? I think that'd be interesting. Before I get into quickly, I do think like how I'm viewing the young players, I have them in tiers. I think there's lots of tiers based on ceiling, but like where they are now, I think it's an interesting... I think there's four guys right now who I say they've already proven that they are either extremely close, like to the point where you can project it happening next season, or they've already shown it in terms of being uh, plus rotation players during the regular season. I, I would say starter level, right? And to me, that's Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, um, Obi Toppin, and Quinn Grimes. And I think for that group of players, the next step is, are you playoff proof, right? And I think for three of those players, there are questions. For RJ Barrett, the questions are, uh, you can get to the rim at will against regular season defenses, can you do that in the playoffs? And if you can't and you don't have a mid-range game and you're not adding value on defense, we can talk about that later, then um, that's a tough equation to, to make work. With quickly, if you can't create separation against defenses that are locked in um, and you can't really finish at the rim at a high level, um, you know, your passing has improved, you're a great pull-up shooter, but that's just, unless you're Trey Young, that's a tough equation to make work. Obi Toppin, you can't create your own shot. And your defense, because of your effort and rim protection abilities, still works out. And that's not to be minimized. But in the playoffs, every inch matters. And can you get hunted in switches? Mm-hmm. Quinn Grimes is the one of the four where I'm like, actually, I, I can see you being a decent player in the playoffs, like, if not now, within like six months, because. Like you're, and like the other thing with quickly, I would say is quickly shot releases a little low. Like he's he's actually adjusted it a little bit um, when he gets contested. But Grimes is releasing that like Ray Allen, right, mm-hmm. uh, or Rashard Lewis. So his like he's gonna be a three point shooter in the playoffs, and he's a good defender. So he's at least one I'm worried about. And then the next group is 
Deuce, Jericho, and I think I'm forgetting someone. Um, Is it Nerlens Noel? Um, no. The other person you might be thinking of. I'm looking. Oh, Cam Reddish. Yeah, Cam. Okay. Um, and all of those guys have been have looked like quality starter level players inconsistently. Jericho Sims last night, I thought he dominated, but I've also seen him look like he doesn't belong. Um, so, and that's fine for a rookie, but that's where he is. Deuce is less so. It's just more like he hasn't had opportunity. Uh, and it's, it's like Deuce is the the one that's closest to me for to that upper group. And then Cam is like, but Deuce like the shot is there, and I think he can hold up on defense. So Deuce is the one I'm least worried about in this group. And then Cam, I'm not that worried about, but partly due to a combination of injury, as well as um, just you know diversity of role. Uh, I think what he showed on the Knicks was that when he plays in the like people people with Cam Reddish always have this dichotomy of like. Should we try to make him Paul George or should we try to make him an off ball scorer? And it's like, it's really a blend between the two. And I actually, I'll give Tom Thibodeau credit for this. I think they found a good blend of that where he would operate off ball, but when he had the opportunity, he could attack and he was very decisive. And then if there were six to eight seconds left on the shot clock, he's a good ISO option. Um, I think the bigger thing is like consistency on terms of team defense. He's good at generating turnovers. But um, but that's so. The first group that I mentioned, like the next step for them is to prove that they're playoff proof. The second group I mentioned has to show that they're consistently good regulation, reg, um, um, rotation players. And then um, the other so who's left is Rokas Yakubaitis and Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson, I'm not really counting as a young guy at this point yeah. because of his contract situation. Yeah. Rokas Yakubaitis, I think has probably if i had to put him in one group i'd put him in that first group but we haven't seen him against american players or we haven't seen him in the nba there is still some uncertainty there i think what he's shown and given what we know about how european players translate is extremely encouraging we're going to leave him out of this discussion so getting back to your original question with emmanuel quickly what has he shown um it's interesting because last year he seemed to be a player that was great at shooting and for all of us, one big question was, can the playmaking be good enough just to be a good enough counter to keep defenses honest so we can get more open shots? And this year, the way he's played, because he's had shooting struggles, the question has almost been the opposite because his passing has really shined. And it's almost like, can he, is his passing good enough to open up better floaters, open up better three-point attempts? And I would say, like, this, but th- this last 20 games is when it has really qu- clicked. Quicked. I should I should have said quick. You know, like, <laughs> that was definitely a, I misspoke, but maybe my, that, maybe that was a Freudian slip. Right. right? Um, but um, the thing is, when he was struggling with shooting earlier this year, the things, like, the critique of quickly was, like, he's a good shot maker, but he's not a point guard. This year, for most of the year, I would have said, He's really good at the point guard things. He throws these beautiful outlet passes. Um, there was the game before the Brooklyn game where he threw one to Obi in stride. And the only thing slightly more impressive than Quickly's immediate pass off the rebound was the fact that Obi just kind of like gravitated it into his hand with one hand. Mm-hmm. Um, like Obi really could play wide receiver if he wanted. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Absolutely. But, um, 
but he's been good at the point guard things, and he's a very like his defense. Last year I wouldn't have called it bad, but he made a lot of mistakes. This year it's been good, and this and I think Tibbs is even seeing that because he trusted him on Kyrie for large stretches. Um, so the only question this year has been the shooting, which, you know, given his free throw shooting, given the the difficulty of the shots he takes, I um, I I believe in. And what else I'll say is like I would you know, guest of the former guest of the pod, Mark Schindler had a really good piece on quickly. Yes, he did. And uh, for basketball news, and you know, they've written a couple now about him, and it's basically like, and the title of the piece that Mark wrote was how to pressure without the rim how to pressure the rim without taking layups i think it was something like that yeah and that sums up quickly because like the the knock on him the knock on him is he's not a true point guard he's vague so i think the best one has been look he can't generate layups for himself and he's not an above the rim player um you can't live on floaters and i think he is putting that um that hypothesis to the test and you've seen other players survive like that and um it wasn't it wasn't um, Mark, but it was another basketball news writer. I believe Ethan. Ethan Strauss. No, he's on. He's a he's a Celtics writer, but um, I'm gonna get his. I always forget his last name. Ethan Fuller. Uh, Ethan Fuller's on Twitter too, but he wrote about you know the other players who make like that heavy floater diet work, and if you have the playmaking to complement it and the three-point shooting, it can work. And I think quickly is proving that. And then you add in the value he adds on defense. I mean, I think that's always the thing when people are like, he's just a six-man, he's Jamal Crawford. Like, that's not an insult, but also, like, like quickly's a really good defender. He weirdly offers rim protection because of his length. Um, he's extremely smart. Um, and, um, and, yeah, like, I mean, I guess I'll throw it back to you, Matt. I mean, if there's anything you disagreed with or anything you'd add, I'd, I'd be interested in that. But also, you know, how much does Quickly's recent play, uh, how much should that play into the Knicks thinking about who to acquire this summer in terms of a point guard? I think it should matter a lot. Um, I don't think that we are – I don't know where the front office is, obviously, and you never know – you know, who suddenly becomes available in a trade. I think they work out of Madison Square Garden. <laughs> we're, having, we're having our interns looking into that now. Um, we believe interns. But, like, I am not at all worried about, well, I don't know, quickly be the point guard. I think, as we've spoken about earlier in the year, um, different teams have different needs out of certain, I don't even know if you call them positions at this point, but, you know, this isn't the classic back in the day where, like, you know, the Knicks are built around Patrick Ewing and you just wish they had a guard who could break down the defense just to take some of the pressure off of Ewing and open things up. The Knicks have multiple players who can create um, shots for themselves and for other people. Mark, in that article you referenced, um, had a great statistic. He mentioned that since the All-Star break, quickly is averaging 8.3 potential assists per game, which are passes that lead to a shot attempt, period, whether you make it or miss. That number of 8.3 puts him in the same range. It puts him above Jimmy Butler, slightly below DeMar DeRozan and Julius Randle. And that's not per 36. That's total. So those are players, as Mark says, significant usage, more usage, and substantially higher minutes played. 
quickly is there. Um, Mark makes a good point in his article, I think, and I, I'm writing about this in a, a Patreon piece for the Strickland this week. Um, I'm sorry, Tom Piccolo had a graph, a, a graphic up about um, quickly on drives and that um, there are 61 players this year who've, who've driven at least 500 times. Of those 600, quickly is 11th in assist percentage. His assist percentage is up on those plays on drives more than 50% from where it was a year ago. He's ahead. And of he's them. averaging more drives too. I think Prez has talked about this as well. Like yeah. the, if you look at his drives per game mm-hmm. and again, not controlled for per 36, like his company is dudes like Darius Garland and yes. Uh, and Randall, I think he's right there with him too. Yeah. So yeah, he is. And again with Randall um, of with Derek Rose, you know, and Kemba Walker, obviously gone for the season. Right now, Randall, as he did last year, leads the team in assists, but quickly is second. And this isn't quickly, you know, as I wrote about in that piece, quickly, if you go back to March 4th, which was the game when Cameron Johnson hit the three-pointer to win at the buzzer. Bank shot three-pointer. I'm not going to let that go. Which, so I'm gonna, we got to mention bank shot, lucky, bullshit three-pointer. Is that not the game also where Randall got ejected for shoving? Yes. Okay. Yep. So if you go back to that game, um, and then go through the Sunday game Orlando the Sunday game with Orlando. I don't I didn't factor in the Brooklyn game yet because um, it's it's enough with the numbers. But quickly before that Phoenix game had played the ten games prior to that he played fewer than twenty one minutes eight of the ten games. Since then eighteen games he's played twenty one or more every single game. To get back to your question of like you know does this matter for next season. I think it does. I think, and and you see every year in the NBA, maybe not every year, but frequently, there is a team late in the season that you see something out of that tells you they're coming. Um, maybe the most blatant case a couple of years ago was the Suns in the Orlando bubble. Yep. They went eight and no, they didn't make it, but like they built something. If we remember years ago, early in the Kevin Durant. Russell Westbrook OKC days, there was a year where the, I think if they were still the Thunder, I don't think they were the Sonics. There was a year they started out like 2-19 and 19 or 2-21. and 21, And from that point on, like they really started clicking. They were basically 500 or better. And you could just see like, okay, here's this team coming. If you have watched the Knicks since the All-Star break, what's bizarre is that they're not winning any more games, but I do feel like meaningful portions or clicks of within the team are playing better. And I think quickly is at the head of that. Um, other than Toppin, I would argue, you know, you could argue for Toppin, but in terms of players who are just doing so much more because they're given the opportunity to do like so much more, I feel fine going into 2022, 23 with Emmanuel quickly as the starting, whatever guard you want to call him. I don't, I have no objections to that. I have no concerns about it. Because, again, I don't. you don't need Emmanuel Quickly to be Chris Paul or MVP Derrick Rose. He doesn't need to be that player. Um, and I think in doing the research for the piece that's coming out tomorrow, one thing that's really been encouraging about Quickly, I don't think we talk about this enough with him, Quickly has a really high IQ, like a really high basketball IQ. <laughs> you did that on purpose. I know. It's, no, I... I I know no one will ever believe me, but like I was tired of the quickly puns like five minutes into the season. Um, <laughs> this is a quickly pun. This is an IQ pun. Uh, to me, so. they're all the same. <laughs> I can't <laughs> I can't pun on quickly shit anymore. Um, but I think he really 
when you watch, like I remember last season, he didn't do this in the beginning of his career. The move were quickly now, um, and and yeah, the move were quickly does that Chris Paul thing where he's coming around um, a pick. You can't go under against him because of his shooting. So the defender has to try to get around it. Quickly is able to keep him, like, you know, just pinned a little behind him while he probes and navigates the defense. He wasn't doing that his first, the first month of his career, the second month of his career. It's something he's picked up. And, and I think an underrated aspect of Quickly's game that contributes to a positive for the club defensively is that he is so good at not turning the ball over. And this is probably on my brain because I've been watching a lot of Man City lately and, you know, Pep Guardiola's whole philosophy in soccer is, like, control the ball, have the ball, keep the ball. Like, if you have the ball 80% of the time, your opponent only has a 20% window to even try to score. Quickly does not turn the ball over. And and one of the stats I found that was really interesting, um, comparing how the Knicks were all season to comparing just how they've been in that month since the Phoenix game, one of the biggest turnarounds in their rankings is their climb on um, – they're forcing their opponents into way fewer points off turnovers. Before, quickly got that steady playing time that he's gotten. Going into March 4th, the Knicks were 11th of the season in opponent points off turnovers, which isn't bad. It's fine. It's top third of the league. But in the, in the month-ish since then, they're fourth. Um the Knicks, their own assistant turnover to ratio is down from 25th to over that stretch, 18th. And it's not just like, I think some people feel like because quickly is not a passer the way that LaMelo Ball is, or even in that Mark Schindler article, there's a beautiful clip of Darius Garland getting to the basket and then tossing this behind his head alley-oop to Evan Mobley. Quickly doesn't do that kind of stuff. But also since quickly took the reins, the Knicks had been second to last in pace all season since IQ kind of took over their 23rd. So you're seeing all this evidence of positive impacts on both sides of the ball. I don't care what it looks like. Like I care what it does and it works. I, I think you go into next year with quickly and Rose and Yoko Bidas, If he comes over, I'm fine with that. They still need to make moves. But I wouldn't look at that trio and, and think like, oh, they're deficient of point. I think they'd be fine. You forgot Deuce, by the way. Yeah, Deuce also, which I th- I mean, I don't think Deuce is going to, assuming Thibodeau is still here, I don't see Deuce next season suddenly getting you know, 20 minutes a game. But, yeah, I could see him getting like 16, maybe 18 minutes a game. The point, I think, yeah, the point you're making speaks to what I'm saying, which is, I'm not concerned about point guard, which is a weird thing to say as a Knicks fan in general. And I know people will look at a lot of of the roster, the depth chart, and decide, like, ah, they still need one. But I would be crushed if the Knicks pick 12th and they're taking, like, Ty Ty Washington just so they can have a traditional point guard. Like, I I don't need that shit. I've seen Chris Duhon. I've seen Howard Isley. I've seen Jared Jack. Manuel Moutier. Moody is my boy, so I'm always going to stand up here. <laughs> but other than that, like, I've seen enough for Dennis Smith Jr. Maybe he's not traditional. Um, I don't need to see any more of it. Give me IQ. Give me Rose. 
I don't think you can underrate how much they've missed him. Give me McBride, and if Yoko Bidens wants to come next year, great. If he wants to wait another year, okay. I, th- I think they're okay with that position. Yeah, it makes sense, and um, and I think yeah, like a lot of it is IQ giving them a floor, um, and it's not so much his natural talent as his feel and, and ability to push the pace, as well as his defense. He's just a very well-rounded player. Kind of moving a little bit, um, you know, you mentioned kind of how the minutes can affect production. Um, Obi Toppin has, uh, since March 22nd, I tweeted this out earlier, since March 22nd, he's played 30 minutes in seven games, and he's never scored less than 10 points in those games, and he's never shot less than 50% from the field. Mm-hmm. Let me throw it to you like this. Uh, when we're talking about Toppin, is it too much of a stretch to say the Knicks are a better team when they start Obi Toppin? Or are, is it fair to say the Knicks are a better team with Obi Toppin than Julius Randle? This is not to rip Randle. This is not a yeah. to divide them. But um, I think it's still a fair question to ask. I don't. I think they're not with an asterisk because. Like this reminds me very much of the the conversation around, and it's sad because Randall is not in his mid thirties, but when Ewing was near the end, and there was this vocal, you know, he's holding us back. We've got Spree, we've got Houston, we've got Camby. We want to run. He's stopping us. And the problem wasn't that oh the Knicks needed to keep Ewing. It was that the way that they traded Ewing did not improved the roster it actually made it harder for them to do to take off from where they were so it's unmistakable to watch the Knicks the last couple of weeks especially with Toppin starting and playing many minutes and not notice certain things that are clearly different and more enjoyable to watch Obi Toppin is never going to make an all-NBA defensive team but he's a, you know he's a team defender um he you know he moves around well he is, and neither is Julius Randle, by the way. True. I mean, yeah, true. Neither one of them is. I think Randle's upside. To, if Randle is tuned in, I think he's a better one. That's fair because he can sw- He could. I mean, he was our best defender on Trey Young. Yeah, he like, he he can he can handle him when he's into it on screens and guarding out in space. He's fine. I don't think Toppin is quite there, but I don't think I don't think you know your defense caves in if you replace Julius Randle there with Obi Toppin. I have been really impressed offensively, and this probably shouldn't be a surprise at all, but until you see it, it is. Um, Toppin's improvement is not simply a matter of like, well, he's playing more minutes, so his numbers are proportionally better. Uh, He's shooting way better from deep. Um, The first 61 games of this season, I'm sorry, the first 61 games of Toppin's career, he played 20-plus minutes only 10 times. And now he's done it seven of the last nine games. And in those nine games, he's 57% from the floor. He's 39% from three. He looks comfortable shooting the threes. I'm not always comfortable when he takes them, but he looks comfortable taking them. I think, are they better? No, but if there were other moves made around that, they could be. I, I think the biggest shocking headline to me this season, besides WTF with Randall, is that a year ago, Obi Toppin, I think a lot of people thought either was a bust or is the first, the next guy out of town because there's just 
really no room for him with what Randall's doing. And a year later, you're asking me the not insane question of, look, you, you put players together and, and you get different kind of chemical reactions. And for whatever reason, right now, when Toppin is plugged in there, the energy looks much better than when Randall does. Probably because Obi never stops running and Randall barely starts running. But I will say in his defense and in the, like, everyone pumped the brakes on Toppin, you know, referencing baseball again, they always say in baseball, don't don't give much credit to what you see in April or in September um, because those are the two times of the year when teams are really all in very different places. The Knicks have been playing, you know, a lot of teams that have needed to win games of late, but I'm not sure that I want to literally take nine games of Obi Toppin's career and say, okay, I know that he's better than a guy that was all NBA a year ago. Yeah, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of merit to that. Um, I think the September and April point, I actually hadn't heard that quote, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it applies very much to March and April for NBA teams. Uh, and that's what's made me skeptical about all the young guys, but especially quickly because he seemed to flick a switch after the all-star break, but that's a heavy overlap with, you know, when it started to be clear that the Knicks were not in contention Um, with Obi. So here's what I would, um, I think that Randall is more switchable, but at this point I'm not willing to say there's a difference between them on defense. Um, I might actually argue Obi is better because the effort is more consistently yeah, high. Sure. And if you don't want to buy the effort, there is a reason not to buy the effort thing, and I will touch on that in a minute. Uh, Obi's Obi has like Randall through no fault of his own has like T Rex arms, and he's shorter than Obi. Obi is longer, and um, if you haven't noticed, can jump outside of the goddamn gym. So um, he's actually he's averaging a block per game in this recent stretch too. Um, he's not a ideal. He has he's a flawed defensive player, but he tries hard and he can he can block. If you if you ask him to just contest shots at the rim, he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So that di- that difference, if there is one, is smaller. Um, the other thing I'll mention is there's something that doesn't get tracked. So the NBA tracks screen assists. I would love to see cut assists and transition assists because I think OB Toppin would lead the league. There's so many points he creates. Just you mentioned this, but he runs hard. And then on the highlight, all you see is, oh, yeah, Quinn Grimes or quickly or RJ made a three in transition. And like, why were they that open? And you see that like three defenders had to run with Toppin. And when they don't run with Toppin, you see that he can catch anything. Um, in the half court, he moves extremely well. Uh, he can get to the rim with one dribble. He's, he doesn't handle the ball well at all right now, and it doesn't matter. Julius Drandall is a way better ball handler. Yeah. That's an advantage I would give to them, and it doesn't matter. If anything, it's a blessing for Obi because he knows he has to make quicker decisions, mm-hmm. and it's it's a negative for Randall because he knows that he can just, like, you know, he believes he can ISO all the time. I think that if you're trying to elevate a bad offensive team to like a workable one, I don't think there's any question that Randall is the guy. But if you want to do anything more than that, is the better guy than Obi, right? He's like, in terms of absorbing that usage, drawing double teams, isoing guys, creating his own shot, that's not Obi. But 
is that the best role for Randall going forward? I think a lot of people would say no. His best role would probably be to be a little bit more ancillary as a role man. In that case, if your power forward is going to be a role man going forward, would you rather have the bouncy guy who never stops running, who's extremely intelligent, makes quick decisions, a shooting 40% from three of late? Um, and um, Or would you rather a less athletic version of that um, whose shot hasn't been that reliable anyway? Uh, and it, it, When you frame it like that, it really seems to be Obi. And the last thing I'll say, and I'll ask to you, how much do you think for young players, right? Because Obi was not getting more than 10 to 12 minutes a game. He averaged 15. Yeah. For the most part, he wasn't getting many. So, like, he missed a lot of threes. His shooting percentage was shitty. But um, but now that he's actually playing for a longer period of time and he's guaranteed it, maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it's random. But he's shooting a lot better. And his form has never been in question. And part of what makes me think that, yeah, maybe that's the driver is the fact that, you know, Deuce McBride, if you watch Deuce McBride shoot and you don't think he can shoot, <laughs> I would imagine you don't know much about shooting. 40% three-point shooter in college, lights up the G League. Uh, right now he's at 25% from three, but there's so many games where he only gets one or two attempts and he gets benched. Yep. Um, and that doesn't seem like, that's not the same kind of sample, you know what I mean? It's a little bit, do you think that plays into, you know, like, have you, I, I have, for one, have revised my shooting expectation for OB upward, and I have not revised my shooting expectation for Miles downward because I, I know he can shoot. Mm. How much do you think that matters? I think it matters a lot. I think, um, I, I mean, Toppin is kind of the extreme case of it, but most NBA players like anything i mean the more i the more that you have the opportunity just to get repetitions the more your skill and your talent and your execution is going to rise and i don't think that top and i i wrote this i wrote this it hit me today in a sentence and i wrote it that like Toppin was drafted in 2020 and it's almost the middle of nah, not quite the middle we're a few months into 2022 and we're just now getting to see Obi Toppin getting consistent playing time. And, you know, there's a lot of Doug Christie was like this when Doug Christie was on the Knicks, he could not get run. Um, the players in practice would beg Pat Riley to play him in games because he was killing them in practice. Riley didn't play him. Um, you never really saw it from Christie. Once he went to Sacramento and actually got playing time. Oh shit. Doug Christie is a valuable starter on a title contender. I don't see why Obi Toppin, you know, depending what you put around him, or quickly depending what you put around him, can't be valuable starters on a good team. But I, you have to give him reps. And, and I think a lot of the stuff with Thibodeau this season kind of comes down to, you know, people can be frustrated, or I, I think there is a, a certain, I think New York fan, I think sports fans in general, but certainly Nick fans, it's not entirely unfair to point out that there's a sizable portion of the fan base that just wants success and will trade whatever value they claim to have for like the next hint of it. So um, they want young players and they want to develop young players and that's the right way to do it. And then if it takes a little bit longer than people want, 
all right, we got we got to make a trade. But I think quickly and Toppin, McBride, Grimes, like you said, there's no reason next season why those people should not all be playing significant rotation minutes, unless the Knicks were to make some astonishing move that no one's heard of yet. Like, they have to play. And I'm encouraged. I really, really am, am shocked at how encouraged I am right now about Toppin. Not saying, like you, I'm not saying he's better than Randall. Um, it's not about that. I'm just very excited that a player that most of last season felt like, man, they pissed away that draft pick. Like, how good would they have been if they had drafted Halliburton or whoever in that spot? And now already, and I remember last year in the playoffs, it was like, oh, okay, it will be showing me some things. Even in the playoffs, when most of the Knicks really struggled, he turned it up. And this season, I'm extreme. I'm as excited by Toppin's potential right now as anybody I would say on the team, including Barrett. Yeah, I I would have to agree with that. Um, I would say last year, the greatest moment I've ever experienced at Madison Square Garden was Game Two of the playoffs. Um, Ob's alley oop. Mm. Um, I think I've been to a lot of games at Madison Square Garden. Game you should have brought your girlfriend to. <laughs> I should have. I, maybe that would have made her a fan. <laughs> um, but uh, I can. The flare was shaking. The, that was the loudest I've heard it, and that is saying a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I mean, he does things that no one, that very few NBA players can do. He will like when he gets the ball and he pumps fake, and the defenders even a little bit out of position on the perimeter. I'm like. Oh, this can be a layup, yeah. and he's gonna make it, yep. right? Or if there's times when he has some like, sorry, what'd you say? Even even when it's a tough layup, he made a great layup against the Nets last night, where he caught a pass in the bottom right corner. Yep, Peyton's I know. Man drove, and it was like I was trying to. I don't know. I don't know if you can stack um, gifts on Twitter against each other, but I thought of the Michael Jordan move because Obi <laughs> Obi went up with the right hand and met. Like a defender met him in midair, and in midair he like switched to the left hand and, and waited for the defender to go down. Yeah, yeah, and the defender did. Like it was very. I know it's sacrilegious to say, but it was very Jordan esque in the sense that like two guys went on an elevator at the same floor, and one guy got off earlier, and you know Obi threw in it lefty, and it was, you know, he does something like that. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make this out to be more than it is because I don't know all that it is, but. Obi does enough things that that make me feel like I need to see more of this person. Yeah, and when you combine and like I remember that play, and also one thing um, you didn't mention about that was he had this slick little move where he kind of started the ball with his right hand, and he did a pre-dribble. Benji Ridholtz coined this term, which I liked a lot. Pre-dribble crossover. He started out with his right, and he immediately. Oh. Sp- and that's what created the space. So, like, he, his handle in tight spaces, he still dribbles the ball too high. Yeah. He needs to get lower. Um, there might be a ceiling, or I guess in this case, a floor on how good he can get on that. But um, but he's still very creative. You So you combine, like, yeah, I think he, he's a 99 percentile athlete. He's long. He's big. Um, he's extremely intelligent. He's a very smart player. He is. And um, and he give he works his like the only thing I would the only thing I would question if we do play him thirty five minutes or thirty two minutes 
will will Obi run the way he does? There's, right. I mean, part of me like watches him play. I'm like, how could you not think that? And the other part is like, yeah, yeah but you know, that would be the question, right? I think he could, um, not forever, but I, I, I think I hate. I really want to be careful of not, you know, trying to do any armchair psychology of anybody, but. I one reason I feel more confident than usual, besides precedent, there there are people that are run all the time. Maybe always one of those dudes, um, but also, um, oh, who was I just thinking of? Uh, oh God, I lost it. It was oh, if you look at Obi's professional history, and I do, I'm not saying this because of a of a psychological evaluation of Obi Toppin. I'm just thinking of this in any kind of an industry that involves um, a significant amount of independent um, artistry or talent cultivation. If you're an athlete, if you're a musician, if you're a writer, um, if you're an animator, if you're all different kinds of things in those kinds of fields, you know, there is growth that can only happen if you're doing it on your own time, like when no one is around. And Obi Toppin, when he was in high school, he was an extremely late bloomer. Um, I'm pretty sure he went the junior college route, like initially, when he got to Dayton. Um, his first year there, like, struggled. He kind of observed things, took it all in. Next season, exploded. First year in the NBA, and most of his second year, not a lot of playing time. But he's sitting back, he's learning, he's paying attention. And as soon as he's thrown in for consistent time, end of last year toward the playoffs, end of this season, you see him taking off. That makes me feel like I don't think Obi is just like burning himself out in 12-minute bursts and you won't see like that again from him. I think especially um, like I can't see Toppin running less than than a lot of people. I just think that dude's wired that way. I think he's just like that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not less than a lot of people. It's the question of, like, I mean, there's clips that people have shown where there's four or five possessions where Obi runs his ass off at full speed. By the way, I I think that I don't know that I can think of five players in the NBA that could beat Obi in a foot race, and I certainly don't think there's one over 6'6 that could. Um, like the players who I'm thinking of are like John Morant, maybe. I'm not sure if John Morant would beat Obi Toppin in the foot race, by the way, and Obi 6'9. But um, I think it's the question of like, how much does he rely on sprinting full speed? And like, even if he turns into 95% of that, is that difference, how much of an impact does that have? I still think he has gifts um, in the half court that are. Like, you know, he, he just gets the rim and he can finish against a ton of different angles. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I buy the shooting. I, I like I mean, I think John Collins is the comp I have for him. Mm. Um, maybe not quite that level of shooter. John Collins is now consistently a 40 percent three point shooter. But I think he's more he has more shiftiness and he can contort himself better. Collins is is like an elite above the rim guy, but you don't see Collins adjust in midair and have the same body control as Obi. I mean, I think he's fascinating to watch. And um, yeah, like I think that he is someone I think that Knicks need to prioritize, especially if they're going to trade for a guard, 
We can talk about that a little bit later, but I think, you know, we're talking about the young guys. The one guy we haven't mentioned is probably still the Knicks' highest priority piece, and that's R.J. Barrett. Um, especially with Randall out now, he's been more featured. He's had a two to three month stretch where he's had much higher usage. Um, I'll let you take the first crack. What have you seen from RJ Barrett? Um, and what are your thoughts on him right now? So I'm very torn about RJ partly because I think I know that I can lose sight of like how young he is and how relatively inexperienced he is so when i was doing some research for the the patreon piece about how different the knicks have looked the last month or so not only have quickly and Toppin picked up significantly more minutes and barrett has too um barrett over those games over those um 17 games um was playing almost 40 minutes a night he was playing 30 and a half minutes a night a lot of his numbers are up i think because he's playing a ton more and my inclination is to be like, aha, okay, that's not really that impressive. So he's scoring almost 24 a game, which is great, but his slash line is still 41, 31, 78. I'm glad the free throw shooting is up, but it's not like in the case of Toppin, where it's not just a person, you know, you're doubling their minutes and you're doubling all their productivity. Like there's there's more going on there with OB. So my first thought in a vacuum with RJ is like, okay, he's not really playing better he's just literally picking up randall's you know randall's route and pretty much doing the same thing with it that randall did which is like points but not efficient points but then you remember that like randall is 26 i think and barrett is 21 and when i think that way of like okay i got a 21 year old who coming into this season didn't have you know hadn't even averaged close to 20 and now for a while he's pushing 24 and then you, and then you get past the numbers and you realize watching him, you know, in the games and out of the games and seeing him taking a leadership role and seeing the shots that he's willing to take, even if he doesn't make them. And like, it's a very short period where fans, I think admire that because then eventually it's just like, why can't you fucking make a shot or don't take that shot? If you can't make it, I would love to see RJ, this offseason develop some kind of mid-range paint counter where you don't need to go all the way to the rim every time, especially when like it's Evan Mobley that you're trying to finish over. I'd love to see him pick up some floater trips, ticks. I, I, I messed that up both ways. Pick up some floater tips or tricks from Fournier quickly, Steve Nash, whoever. Um, so I'm very torn about RJ because my heart is totally like pro RJ, like totally. He's the guy I'm glomming to. He's the one that I feel good about. I have since they drafted him. And then I think like the Knicks haven't had a bad contract in a while, like a bad big contract. They haven't had one. I would say since Carmelo, if you max out RJ this off season, the rookie max, you need to hope that, you know, like, let me, let me ask you. You don't consider Julius a bad contract? No, not at all. Um, not, it's not uh, like, you mean the, the extension that he signed? Or yes. The first one. Yes. No, right now. Yeah. Oh, 
No, I don't the, think the so. extension. I yeah, still yeah. Think no, no, sorry, not, the extension. I meant, yeah. It's not a mat. You know, it's not a supermax. Um, it's not a like back in the day a seven year deal. It's not like and the cap is is increasing too. So it'll be up. about twenty percent of the cap, which is no, not that bad. It's not bad, and I think Randall, despite the things that he struggles with, like Randall, there is value to Randall. Whatever you think of various things about him, in that he's not. He's not just a one-dimensional. Like Julius Randle to me is not Carlos Boozer. He's not a guy who gets a, a full max deal, and all he can do is like. No, he's not. He's not that. I, I don't. Th- I wouldn't say he's. A, he's. And certainly, to put it this way, it's not a crippling contract. You're not going to be like, oh shit, we're we're in in cap hell for years because Randall. That's. Not but do you think if they want to move on to from him? They can get positive value back. Do you think we have to attach an asset? Uh, I think the Knicks have enough. I th- I think the Knicks have enough assets that if they have to move a pick or something to get off of Randall because they have another another move in place that they like better, like that's fine. I, I don't like. I don't think the Knicks would have to move anything of consequence to get off of Randall on a fair deal. Um, so I don't consider him crippling in the way that like. Stoudemire's deal was, or the way Melo's was near the end, or even on a lesser degree, what like Bargnani was making when he wasn't like producing anything. I'm not worried about that. Um, whereas, let me ask you it this way: Is do you feel better about giving R.J. Barrett a ma- a rookie max than you felt seeing Minnesota give Andrew Wiggins one? No. Um... I, I don't think he's earned the max yet. Um, I think that a lot of people have said the Jalen Brown deal is better. I think that I'm on board with that. Uh, here's my kind of... I was thinking about this a lot today. Can you tell me a player in like the 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, range, like a wing? Who's the best wing of that size, you know, who doesn't add value on defense? In the league? Yeah. A six 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 eight wing who does who's who's like reputable but doesn't add value on defense. Yeah. Uh, Evan Fournier. Uh, no, let me think. Um, on the good teams, I'm coming up blank. We're going through the East. Chicago. I mean, I don't think Zach Levine is that great defensively, but he's a... So you, if you call him a wing, then yeah. If you call him a wing, right. Um, DeRozan, if you call him a wing. Right. Right. If you're going more like... Closer yeah, to but I, I, I would give you those. I think the, the point I'm trying to make is that... Here's the thing. If you think RJ... Barrett is going to be here's even Luka Doncic is a plus. Rachel Doncic is a better defender than RJ this year. Mm. Last year, maybe I would have quibbled. Luka Doncic adds value on defense. Dallas is the seventh best defense in the league, and he is a big part of that. Mm. Um, so um, those guys, that's the thing. Like with guards, like if you have Kyrie or Dame or Steph, I wouldn't put in there because he's actually a solid defender, but you can hide Trey Young, right? You can hide someone like Trey Young as a guard because they're guards and like they're not expected to do much. For a wing, it becomes tougher. Yeah. 
And at that point, the threshold for what you provide on offense is so high that even the best, like, if if R.J. Barrett became Paul George on offense, that's way beyond my wildest expectations. Agreed. And Paul George is also an elite defender. Yes. Um, and Jalen Brown is a more realistic expectation of what R.J. Barrett could be on offense. He's a very good defender. And that, to me, like, people were so... Like I'm, I'm not. I agree with what you said about the mid range, but even if he develops a, a, a respectable mid range game, if, if he hits a Jimmy Butler type ceiling on offense or Jalen Brown, he still has that value on defense to be worth the max, and like a good amount. Like he has to be. He can't just be. I, I think he has to be better than he was even last year. And last year he showed flashes. He had the game against Kawhi. Even this year he had one game where he guarded John Morant the whole game. Like he has the ability, but that has to be a day in day out thing mm-hmm. for him to be worth a max. He has to hit that Jalen Brown or maybe Jimmy Butler type offensive ceiling, and he has to on defense. He needs to be a plus defender where he you can throw him at a wing. Um, and there's reasons for this, and the reason part of the reason I thought about this was I was thinking about um, <coughs> You know, if the if the Knicks were able to hold down, I think their three best assets are IQ, RJ, and Obi. <coughs> Grimes, I would put in that group, but of those four, he at this point is probably the one I'd be most willing to part with. Um, and if we were to trade for Donovan Mitchell, you know, and and kept those three guys, then our starting lineup would be IQ, Mitchell, RJ, Obi, and either Sims or Mitch. I actually posted this on the Strickland Discord, and I think Far Off the Mark, um, shout out Far Off the Mark, um, Guten Tag, um, you know, said that I would really like to add another good wing defender there. And I was like, yeah, because right now RJ isn't a good wing defender. You play him next to Quick, Quickly's a very good team defender, but he's not a wing defender. He's, he's not that. You need a certain type. <coughs> and Donovan Mitchell is a massive negative. And the reality is if we add, like, if RJ isn't going to be the guy, and maybe even if he was, you're going to want another high-level guard next to him. That guard is not going to be able to mitigate what he needs to provide on defense in terms of a wing defender. So you either need to find another wing defender who can also shoot really well next to RJ. The Knicks might have one in Quentin Grimes, but again, if they make the trade for someone like Mitchell, that's a need. Or he needs to become that himself. And the thing is, if you have to surround him with another wing defender and he's not that good of an offensive player, the value becomes a little dicey. I think he's improved tremendously getting to the rim. Um, I think his work ethic is off the charts. I think he is the leader of this team right now, especially as as Randall is, is kind of going through his stuff. I have no question that he's going to get everything he can out of himself. But the defense is not negotiable. It has to be a plus. I have, I'm less worried about him def- developing a mid-range game than him being a consistent, if not all NBA level defender, at least like if a, a good, a really good defender for many years. That's what I want to see because he's, he was a, a horrible defender as a rookie. Like most rookies are, he was really good last year. This year isn't bad. So. I think listening to you talk that I realized that in the specific case of a potential Donovan Mitchell trade, I would rather trade Barrett than Grimes because of the fit. Um, and because I think, I think that's the kind of deal where like 
Utah, I don't know, Utah's a very smart organization, but I assume they would, they might want both, but I would assume they would want Barrett as a starter in that deal. And I think if I'm bringing in Donovan Mitchell, acknowledging that I have no idea where RJ ends up, what kind of player he ends up being, what his ceiling is, he seems like a very hard worker, all that jazz. But RJ doesn't strike me in the specific case of Mitchell. Barrett doesn't seem to me like the kind of a piece that I want to desperately have there after Mitchell's there. Like I'd rather have, I'd rather have Grimes, I think, because I think Mitchell can replace offensively more of what I would be asking for from Barrett. Um, and if I had Mitchell and quickly in my backcourt, starting with Grimes and, you know, as to kind of your, your wing and then whatever at four and five, like, I'll go with that. I would do that. I'm not sure. And it's, it really comes down to, this is really like just a terrible confluence of events because Barrett is extremely likable and I'll be very happy to watch him, you know, play 12 years as a Nick. Um, but, and everyone wants him to be the guy who breaks that second contract curse. And I still think that he will... But I'm not sure, like healthy Porzingis, if that if such a thing existed as healthy Porzingis, I'm giving him the rookie max, and I don't really need to think that. Finding much. a healthy Porzingis is like finding a unicorn. I'm saying. So like if he were healthy, yeah, but the reason why I never, from the start, I supported the KP trade, it wasn't because I hated him, it wasn't because I, it was just because I did not think he was worth signing yourself up to that kind of a, in his case, a, he didn't want, he wasn't taking any injury exemptions. He just wanted a full, a full max with no protections and he got it. And it obviously worked out great for Dallas. Um, I don't know still when I watch RJ, the best part of RJ's game to me is his driving. I think he's improved as a shooter. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be a great shooter. So far he seems very streaky. He's had, nah, but you, you can give him the ball on a catch and shoot. Yes. And Mike, he'll hit it. You can I would it. argue, yeah. actually, at times this year, he's been better at that than Quickly. Quickly is a good shooter, so he he he's good at that. He just, yes. you know, off off schedule, he's not a good shooter, right? Yeah, I feel want, and again, I'm acknowledging he's 21. He's not a finished product at all. He five years from now, he'll be Randall. Who'd you say? Sorry, I I said I'm not writing him off, and I'm not. Um, oh yeah, I thought you mentioned another player. Sorry, go ahead. But I'm saying, like, he's in five. He's so he's still so young that five years from now he's still going to be young in five years. So I'm I'm very content. And in 15 years, he'll still be young, according to Tibbs. So. <laughs> in 15 years, Tibbs will start playing him a little more. Um, so I I'm I'm totally cool with like I'll ride with RJ longer. Let me see like where he goes. There's there's so much that I like about him, um, but. I don't think that I believe that he's ever going to develop elite touch finishing and he's not an elite athlete who's going to throw down on people. So then for me, it would come down to, yeah, I can max out RJ Barrett and feel okay about it. If I trust that the organization around him is going to put him in a context where he gets to max out his abilities. And that's where, if he's in Utah, I might trust them to do that. If he's in 
Toronto, I might, but I don't trust. I don't think I right now. I don't trust the combination of the places where his game is raw and will maybe never be refined, and this franchise to like to crack that mystery. Versus, I think it's a lower challenge to figure out how do I build around Donovan Mitchell, and maybe the Knicks. Maybe that would be easier for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I um, yeah, I think I'm a little bit higher than RJ on RJ than you, um, but I do think for me, yeah, I think that I think I'm not worried about him being a very. I think I, I'm not worried about him reaching Jalen Brown level on offense, which is it's not something I would have said a couple months ago. But his creativity around the rim, um, I think you've also seen it. He's improved his free throws. He can hit. Catch and shoot threes. He's never going to compromise your offensive spacing. He's not a. He's also not a guy that needs the ball in his hands. By the way, that's yeah, worth mentioning. That's, that's true. For his archetype, he's a like he's a good cutter. Yeah. Like there are guys of that ilk, and I think we talked about Wiggins. That was a problem with Wiggins early in his career. He has all this athleticism and size. He was not good at cutting. RJ is that. It's I, I but I think he needs to figure out a way to be a really plus defender to really make that whole thing work. Otherwise, he ends up being um, Rudy Gay, Jeff Green, which is not a bad player. No, uh, no, it's not no, worth no. a max. No. Um, it's probably not worth Jalen Brown's contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like if we get Donovan Mitchell, you just mentioned, right? RJ's best strength is getting to the rim, is driving. That's Donovan Mitchell's best strength. I mean, well, Donovan Mitchell has a lot of strengths, but that is a big strength for Donovan Mitchell. Um, and so I would, again, it keeps coming back to this. I would feel much comfortable, much more comfortable at RJ being his Robin, if you will. If RJ was a locked, like pairing Donovan Mitchell and Paul George would be the dream, right? Because, uh, one of them is a driver who scrambles defenses. The other one can attack certain matchups that Donovan Mitchell can't, but more importantly, Paul George is also a lockdown defender. If RJ evolved to that, I would feel much more comfortable. As it is, he doesn't do that. And I think you and Donovan Mitchell is putrid on defense right now. He shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is he has he is the exact opposite of Trey Young in terms of physical tools, and he is very close to Trey Young as a defender. <laughs> and he did that in a place with a pretty good organization and talent system yeah. in Utah. Uh, that is worrisome to me. And I'd want to pair him with good defenders. So, yeah, to your point, I would rather pair him with Grimes, right? Grimes is going to give you that. I would rather pair him with Quickly, who cannot switch and do the wing stuff, but is a good de- team defender. And at that point, you're like, if, if Utah really wants him and that allows us to keep all our other young pieces. And then the other part of that is, if this is Obi Toppin, if this is who Obi Toppin is, you know, a, shoot, a, a pick and pop guy you can shoot, obviously roll to the rim who is a great ball mover and passer. Like, he seems like the perfect compliment to Mitchell. RJ would appear to be the... And that's so weird to say. It is. Because RJ is probably... Is still our most talented young prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Obi, could, Obi has a claim to... I mean, they all do. They're, they we're really I would deep. I say RJ just because RJ has actually done it. Um, yeah. He's done what he's done. OJ. Uh, yeah. OJ. I'm just, if you talk about Obi's natural tools, right? Size, athleticism, um, intelligence. RJ is pretty smart too, but Obi, like, you know, most guys who are super athletic and tall, 
I mean, I think I, I've, I don't know, how would you respond to this? I always feel like the guys who are the most naturally gifted, it can be a little bit rare to find those who are like, I don't, intelligent is the wrong word. That's, that's my fault. I was trying to place Obi. But, you know, who are, who like think through the game the most or spend the most time on that aspect. Mm -hmm. The most, the more naturally gifted you are, you don't have to do that at lower levels, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's why, you know, one of the, one of the most cerebral players of all time was six foot tall and Chris Paul. But to disprove my point, maybe the most cerebral player of all time is six eight, two hundred seventy pounds, and could leap over uh, a standing building. Right? I'm talking about LeBron, but um, so I'm not saying that that's necessarily a hard and fast rule. But it is it is rare to find that with Obi, right? His physical tools, but also such an advanced understanding of the game and always moving and the motor. Uh, even though he probably could have succeeded without that. Um, so, you know, it's um, that's the only reason I would say that Obi might be the most naturally talented player or the most uh, talented player. But, um, yeah, I mean, at this, and it, it shifts so much because these are young. I think this is another thing we struggle with. At the beginning of the season, RJ was struggling, and you probably, you know, people were lower on him and willing to trade him. Then in the middle of the season, he had a great boom. IQ couldn't put the ball. He couldn't hit water out of a boat. Everyone's down on him. Now IQ's shooting better, and it's unlocked the other playmaking and you know the quickness of his game. He's forced – by the way, I think IQ's one weakness that I would work on the most if I was his trainer is that there is a massive difference when he goes right versus left. Shwini Poo, my co-host uh, on the other pod, my other co-host um, – Matt, uh, that I cheat on you with, um, is, um, you know, he has mentioned this a bunch, but, um, you know, when IQ goes left, those are the times where he has to pick up his dribble and like throw the ball out. Right. When he goes right, it's much less of an issue. Um, uh, he can control the pace. <coughs> um, but, um, you know, I think that once that started, once the shooting came, those things were diminished. Right. And he could show off all of those things. And so it fluctuates with the and like IQ's probably spoiler alert guys, IQ's probably gonna have another stretch where he's like that, right? Maybe not quite that bad as a shooter, but he's gonna like he went one for eight yesterday, and I thought he had a good game. And then there's probably a lot of people that would just look at that and be like, he had a bad game. Um so we're gonna go through this with the young guys, and so it's it can be reactionary to judge IQ, RJ, OB. Grimes has had games where he, Grimes misses a lot of shots. It's crazy. I looked at like I, I felt like Grimes was missing a ton of shots. Yeah, and I looked and he's still shooting thirty eight percent from three. You, I mean, that guy, make every, you expect him to make everything. He looks like he should make everything. Yeah, uh, and I side note, I think I mentioned earlier like those four guys um, that I mentioned are like the most regular season ready and like already good players in regular season. Grimes is the one I'm most confident. Grimes probably has the lowest ceiling of those four. I would say, because quickly ceiling is like a primary ball hit, like not Trey Young, but something in that mold, mm -hmm. right? Of a guy who's a great pull-up shooter, can pass, <clears throat> has a floater game. RJ has it something like Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, Obi has something like a guy who could just sleep. I mean, Obi, like since he's been starting, he's been getting 18, 20 points a game every game. Mm -hmm. So Obi seems like the guy who can sleepwalk into 20 points. Yeah. That's really what he looks like, especially when it's all figured out and Insano gets a little bit better. 
Um, Grimes is never a guy who I would see as like an all-star, but I also think, you know, I think there's a great quote from Bob Myers, the GM of the Warriors a couple of years ago at, at the Sloan analytics conference at MIT, which actually I was lucky enough to be in the audience for this, but he had a good quote about like, you know, the difference between the playoffs. He's on a panel with Paul Pierce and he was saying that like in the playoffs, you know, in, in the regular season, Paul Pierce you know, his coach might go up to him and Paul Pierce would be like, all right, so who do I'm guarding tonight? <laughs> What's going on? Right. In the playoffs, he knows exactly who he's guarding. He knows what their weaknesses are to the, can he go left? And like, it's like, it's like in baseball, I'm almost quoting this verbatim, but he's like, it's like in baseball, if you are weaker hitting a fastball out and away, then that's all you're going to get. So if you know that, you know, a guy is better going to his right, He's only getting like they're not they're taking away the right hand in the playoffs, and if you're a shooter, two feet of space in the regular season is the equivalent of two inches, and Grimes is the guy who you're like, you know, um, that two inches might as well be two feet for him, right? Because he releases it from so damn high, it's so um, quick, and that that is something that quickly has shown the ability to change his release. As I mentioned, but. Can he do it in the playoffs? And we, and we saw that with RJ, right? Like he was very effective in the regular season. He struggled in the playoffs. Natural, like not not a not a knock on a twenty year old, of course. Um, but you know that's kind of my long term outlook on those guys. And um, and with RJ, especially if you're getting someone who like if we're gonna trade for a star, that star is probably gonna bring going to the. There's very few stars in the league who don't get to the rim basically at will. That doesn't mean they can't use someone like RJ next to them. I think he would fit well next to someone like Nikola Jokic, for example, mm -hmm. or like Joel Embiid, because those are more grinding guys. They're like the version of Julius Randle that would be really, really good. Super <laughs> right? Like Jokic is like if Randle was just an amazing version of himself, mm -hmm. that's Jokic on offense. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not that he can't, but especially if it's a guard, you would think that RJ's skill set, I wouldn't say redundant, but adds less than some of the other Knicks young players. But the trade-off with that is like RJ still probably has the best star potential out of those young guys, right? So. Yeah. My concern there again is if I and on the one hand every front office is different, and on the other hand, you know, if you see the same things happening, maybe it's not about the front office. Um, I I need to see. I don't. We'll see what happens. I don't know, again, if I... I don't know what degree of difficulty I want to entrust this front office to. Like, um, I think with Barrett, like, I'm comfortable giving... If if I saw Barrett ascend in one more important way, so either he became a plus defender or he became... Um, you know, he learned some floater. And I would say he was a plus defender last year, to yeah, be clear. It's just, this year it's been bad. It's been really – it's been. I think also this year, I think it's harder for him to – it's probably been harder for him to focus on doing just his job when, you know, Kemba and Fournier or Burks are not – if you play basketball, like if someone on your team can't stop their man, everybody has to now compromise to pick it up. And like that changes things. And also I think RJ has picked up 
a much bigger share of the offense, particularly of late. Like one thing, he's 21 and he's never had the experience of we need you to basically lead the team on offense. And we also want you stepping up on defense in terms of the quality of your opponents and the quantity of your success. Like you said earlier, I'll give this to RJ. Like he always takes the assignment. If he's playing John Morant, if he's playing Garland, um, if he's playing Jimmy Butler, when the Knicks play someone and there's a, a, a perimeter threat that RJ like sees, RJ generally a lot of times he wants them and he has, you know, varying degrees of success, but like everybody does, I think sorry. Many players are going to have varying degrees of success, particularly twenty one year olds who are still having their role defined. Um, I just need to see that from him. I need to see, give me one more area of, oh, okay. Like this season, I have been impressed by RJ. I would say other than, you know, top, I'm not going to count rookies because there's no, there's no, um, there's no context to compare them to. But in terms of Knicks who have been here before, other than Toppin, and I think you could argue quickly, Barrett's probably the only other player I can think of right now that I would say like that person has been better than I expected um, but I need to see him take one I need him to level up at least one more time so I can feel like okay RJ can be a two or a three on a great team and if we're not there he can be good that's not worth a max I think second can be Second, no, no. I'm saying if he's not a second or third. Right? Oh no! If he's not, then he's not worth it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a hard, it's a very hard question, and we all like RJ, so, and we're not there yet. But I think this is going to be the big, the best thing for the Knicks next year is RJ's averages 25 a game, 25, five and five, and he makes an All Star team and his defense improves, and we're not worried about any of this because. As awkward as it was going to be going into a KP like negotiation, I feel like I feel like it would be a PR nightmare. Even though it wouldn't necessarily be the wrong move, if the Knicks decided to trade RJ and not extend him, like you can just hear like Isola and Bondi and even Berman, you can just hear them like filing down their pens and getting ready to write these stories. But I mean, on that note, if, if he doesn't average, let's say he averages 20, like let's say he did what he did this year, but on slightly better efficiency yeah, and was a neutral defender. The, the Knicks still have the right to match, right? Yes. Uh, which they did with KP. Um, and I think, you know, the, the part of that was like KP demanded the trade. And because of the injuries, I think the Knicks were kind of like, well, we're not going to stop you, right? right. Um, or we're already kind of – that's a little – that's a whole muddy thing, but I think the Knicks are probably already leaning towards that. Yes. And KP requested it, and um, all of the, the reports that have come out are probably formalities at the point. It was it was in many ways, I think, just a mutual parting of the ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but RJ, I don't see that happening that way. I think it would be closer to the DeAndre in situation in Phoenix where I think they're going to retain him, but they're going to just make someone give him a max and match that. But I don't know that anyone would give RJ a max if he's like, because of things like the Andrew Wiggins situation, and because he's not as naturally gifted as Andrew Wiggins was. Andrew Wiggins was the number one pick, you know, elite athlete with 
probably like his ceiling even at that point was higher than RJ's. Yeah. So I think like RJ's market might still be four for a hundred at that point, mm-hmm. or you know the equivalent of that in the new cap, which I think the Knicks would be happy to match, but they would be like make us match it. You know? Right, right. It would just be hilarious if like some team somehow like with Jeremy Lin came up with this absurd like poison pill contract that somehow the Knicks wouldn't match it, and like it, I I just cannot imagine that universe. But even. I mean, even that, like, that didn't hurt the Knicks, really. I mean, if you look at Jeremy Lin's, like, it was, I mean, I was as big of a believer in, you know, I'm Asian-American, South Asian, but, you know, still, <laughs> um, that meant something to me, that Jeremy Lin was the guy, right. especially amidst kind of how low the Knicks were. Like, I still remember that first game when he blew up against the Nets, right? And, like, I remember, like, yes, he's finally getting a chance. And I just wanted him to do something good. And he hit a couple of baskets and a couple of assists. I was like, there we go. And I was, like, expecting it to be, like, what would later be all of those Frank and Lakina games where he did, like, a few good things and we loved it. And it ended up being more than that. Because significantly more. But, he, I mean, he was a good – he was he was actually what a lot of people claim that quickly will always be is a decent – a good six man. But – um. You know, in terms of like, I don't think that was a huge loss for the Knicks, right? I am not capable of answering this objectively because I was so pissed off by the way the whole thing went down. Like, that was the year, if you remember, where the Knicks were in a MSG was in a, I'm sorry, uh, what were they called? Cablevision was in a fight with maybe Comcast. So, None of the Knicks games were on in, in in various markets or various local places. And then when Insanity started to take off, um, I think MSG parlayed that into like a quicker, better deal. So like they wrote him for that. Um, I was really so disappointed by what I thought were a lot of, I've written about this um, for Fansided and also I think for posting. Like I think there was so much shocking, grotesque, um, betrayal of Lynn by multiple black teammates because I don't think that they were um, they literally just were not used to seeing not only Lynn play on the court the way that he did but like like Lynn's contract might have been absurd but we see black players get absurd contracts all the time we see white players get absurd contracts Steve Novak got a four year deal after a postseason in which the Heat showed that like he could not do anything. Steve Novak looked like a fan in that series on the floor. And he got a four-year extension, and nobody said boo. So I can't be fair about Lind. I'm acknowledging that right now. Uh, I was so pissed at the Knicks for fucking that up. I was pissed at the Knicks for daring him to go look for a deal in the first place instead of just locking him up. I'm getting all emotional. I'm getting reclaimed. I can't handle this. Um... I'm going to call it a day, Stacey. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I I mean, I agree with your perceptions a lot, especially it meant so much for him, not just being Asian American, but he was a 6'3 guy. You know, like, yeah, was super, yeah, was a great player. I think injuries robbed yes. him of some of his impact, but it's not the same as someone who's like normal size, right? And, and making that kind of impact and the way he played and the energy he gave. But, um, but no, this is fun. Um, I think there's a lot to be enthusiastic about with the Knicks. We talked a lot about trade scenarios, which shouldn't, 
distract from the fact that that's these are good problems to have. Like, which of my guys can we give up for Donovan Mitchell? Yes. Um, but good spot, and yeah, I mean, they they went toe to toe with the the Nets um, with Kyrie and KD, and you know they blew a lead. You know, we can talk about the coaching stuff, but they they played really well. We didn't talk about Jericho Sims, but mm-hmm. I thought that he he made a lot of great strides yesterday, and I think they're in a really good spot. So. Uh, it's just the, it's um, you know I have a I, I'm taking piano lessons. I think I told you this, Matt. I know yeah, you're yeah. a former piano teacher, but I'm taking piano lessons, and it's from a family friend. And her daughter is current is a recent graduate, um, of undergrad who is kind of in limbo, like taking her LSATs, waiting to apply to law school, and looking for a paralegal job. And, you know, she was telling me, like, how antsy she is, right? Because she, like, she knows what the, the next year is going to be. She's going to be in law school somewhere, somewhere good. She's a really smart girl. She's going to do well on her tests and all that. And she knows where she's coming from. But that middle time, right, it's this limbo that, um, and I think that's where, you know, that's the analogy I draw to the Knicks. That, like, I think we can see what this young core can look like, especially, and we have the ability to add someone. But at the moment, it's just like, what's it going to be? Who are, who? What are the jerseys going to buy? Right? Who's going to be here and all that? It's 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 a little bit of an antsy sit- time for all of us. Yeah, like you said, it's antsy, but it's definitely not a barren place to be. The Knicks have certainly been in worse positions than this at the end of various seasons. Um, it does feel very much like a liminal, you know, kind of purgatory. Not, not purgatory. It does feel very liminal. It does feel like we're in between where we were and something probably good that's coming, but we don't know what it's going to look like yet. Um, the fact that we could have an hour plus about six or seven young Knicks that we feel good about, I think is a very good sign. So we will close on that optimistic note for this episode, episode not 22 or 24. Uh, we will be with you probably again this weekend, I'm guessing. Um, again, the Knicks play Washington Friday and Toronto in the season finale Sunday. So. There is an excellent chance somewhere in that range we will do another episode. Um, and then I'm sure once the season's done, we'll start doing more in-depth um, player reviews and some draft stuff and um, some other some other maybe fun stuff also and some guests. So thanks for tuning in. Um, enjoy your lives, and we will see you in a few days. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.